Welcome to Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. I am very smugly back, Patrick Cullen in the driver's seat here with you folks, along with one and only Christopher D. Barty. Barty, we've won two tests in a row. We've won two tests in a row, Pat, and um, it's looking ominous. It's looking ominous. <laughs> Somebody get Nappy Sand out here because we've got a whitewash. <laughs> Have you been practising that or was that off the cuff? Look, I was trying to make some sort of whitewash <laughs> reference. I don't know surfing that well. I don't actually know how a whitewash works. Um, but I do know how to make your whites whiter and your brights brighter. Um. <laughs> Chris, we've got to stop giving Navisan free time on the yeah. show. But yes. <laughs> hey, Navisan, give us a That's call. That's right. We'll if you're going you to be mentioned on the program, I'm going to need you to cough up. <laughs> yeah, send us a check, Navisan. Um, you can send us a check the Australian cricket team too, buddy, because they are, you're not wrong. The Poms are not looking good, Chris. It's going to take a huge turnaround from here. And listen, like you said, it's going to be was going to be close this Test match. I said it was going to be a shellacking. Uh, if Alex Carey had taken that catch, it may well have been a shellacking. I think we could say it's probably closer than we thought it was going to be on day four. Sure, but still a pretty sizable victory here, um, leaving in the Aussies in a really strong position, and the Palms looking like shades of 0607, Chris. They're starting to look. They're looking real fragile. Yeah. They're looking more fragile than me on Sunday after the Bucks party. <laughs> yeah. Uh, certainly, um, yeah. Look, you, you will probably be as effective in the slips um, as they were. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, look, any time a side loses by 275 runs, I think we can call that. That's a, that's a comfortable victory. That's a, that's a schlacking. Um, you know, and even if the Australia had have um, asked... England to follow on, you know, I think likely would have been an innings defeat. So, which I don't understand. Why do we not follow on anymore? Nobody follows on. Um, I don't know. You know what? It it was that one series against India where we enforced the follow on and then we lost. And Australian teams since then have been like, oh, no, I don't know. Let's let's just bat it. I mean, it was, uh, you know, that was one. That was 2001. Uh, (laughs) 20 years ago. I say it like it was yesterday, but it was literally 21 years ago. It was 2001 in India, uh, and they had the likes of Tendulkar, Laxman, Dravid, uh, and others. You know, uh, it was a fairly reasonable batting lineup. Yeah, it was a pretty strong team, wasn't it? I I would like to do a retrospective, actually, on that that series with Jai Singh. We haven't had Jai on in a while. I think we need to get Jai back to do a retrospective on the 2001 Australian tour of India. Um, It was a long time ago. And you're right. Look, perhaps there is some residual memory. But I'm not understanding of the, the logic. Because from what I understand... What's been mentioned is it gives the fast bowlers a bit of a bit of a breather. They get a chance to put their feet up. But you know what else mm. gives you a chance to put your feet up? If you do the work exactly. and the game ends early. <laughs> I don't get it. Gives you a whole day. I don't get it. To do and it. it's not like anyone's yeah. putting up stubborn resistance here. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong about that, Chris. They did they did absolutely roll over. I mean, yeah, it was it was a it was a real smashing and mate like 
just tiny unforced errors, not even like one percenters, like 20 percenters. You know, they've down what, like eight or nine catches this series. Um, they got more wickets off no balls. Josh Butler stepped on his own pegs. Like, <laughs> that, Joe Root got hit in the nads so bad, he looked like he was about to die, the poor bloke. After he, after he went into the nets that day as a professional cricketer without a box on. Yeah. Righto. Without a box Unusual. on. Unusual. I mean... Yeah, hitting. I saw a, a infographic today showing the speed of the ball when it left Mitchell Stark's hand, and the speed at which it hit Joe Root's nuts, and it hit Joe Root, Chris, at 111 kilometers an hour. Yeah, 111 kilometers an hour, Chris. And it's oh boy, it's the hardest ball in sport, it, the cricket ball. It's it's, oh. it's the hardest ball in sport, and um, yeah, right in the plums. I feel really bad for him. <laughs> it would have really hurt twice. It would have hurt so bad. And you've got no one else to, you know, got no one else to blame because you should have had a box on, mate. Like, you should have had, should a, have box had a box on, on. Joe. Um, you've made fifteen hundred test runs this season, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> you should have had a box on. Maybe but. That's, but maybe that's part of his strategy. You know, maybe batting or you know practicing without a box on it adds a bit of a bit of a thrill. You know, and and oh, you know, it's a bit of a yes it raises the adrenaline, so he has to pay extra attention, watch the ball extra closely, uh, to make sure it doesn't inflict. The damage that it has so clearly inflicted. Perhaps that's part of his training technique. I don't know, but it was really unusual. Uh, riddle me this, Pat. Is Josh Butler good? I'm not sure. What's happening? Because he's either amazing and is the best wicketkeeper I've mm. ever seen, or yeah. does make some mistakes which are um, comical, unusual. Yeah, comical, Chris. Bonafide comical. I mean, it feels like he can only do worldies. Yeah. It feels like he can only do, like, you know, off-the-chain, hog-wild worldies. Seems to be his, his, his entire thing. And if it's a regulation catch, he's nowhere to be seen on it. I, I don't know. And, like, his batting's the same. You yeah. know, like, t- to be one of the most aggressive, incredible 2020 players in on the planet... And then to come out and face 207 balls and look like an immovable object, save for that one edge, before stepping on your own pegs. Yeah. It's like, what is happening here? Clearly, clearly, super talented individual, has all the all the tricks in the kit bag. Someone somewhere just has put a pin in his voodoo doll and, you know, he's <laughs> just taking it in and out, in and out. So it just gives him a little bit to get to get a run on and then sticks it right back in. That's what I think is happening. That's my working theory, uh, Pat. That's all I've got. I like that, Chris. That's That makes the most sense of any theory mm. I've heard so far, mate. That makes the most sense. Um, so, Bud, let's talk about the show today. So, um, three parts to the show today, Chris, each Ooh. like dignity. Yep. Um, part one, uh, Heidi Cheadle is going to join me for a chat and chuckle about some women's cricket. Part two, we've got tapes from Spinksy and we've got tapes from... From, who's our Aussie correspondent, obviously, and tape from TK Hawkey uh, to give us the English perspective on this recently completed test. And then, Chris, we've got to quickly preview the MCG uh, and the Boxing Day mm. test, which is fast approaching. So uh, heaps of stuff to get through, my friend. So with that in mind, let's uh, quickly jump to Heidi Cheadle and catch up on the women's game because it's been a bit of a while and uh, it'd be great to hear her voice. Here she is. Hello. G'day, mate. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm good, Hyde. It's really nice to hear your voice, pal. How the bloody hell are you? How's your lockdown yeah. been? Man, same here. Um, pre- like, look, obviously it's not ideal. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, pretty stuff, Pat. Pretty bad. 
are you though? You've been busy. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, I've been tearing around like a chicken with my head cut off in, in classic sort of fashion. I'm very, <laughs> I'm very lucky, Hides. I, I had all my employers kept me employed through those 15 or 22 or 100 million weeks, whatever it was. So that I survived really well. <laughs> crazy, man. Crazy. I I kind of feel like the world is just like having one big old dummy spit. <laughs> like, That's it. I'm you know what I mean? Enough. Like, we kind of get what we want, but then we fucking around. Now the numbers are up and the rain is fucked and everyone's just sort of like, you know, like just having a bit of a tantrum. Pal, I wanted to give you a quick call because I've been being a real bloke and I and I haven't watched any women's cricket of late and I just wanted if you could give me a quick Heidi update a bit of, a bit of a Heidi's highlights yeah. and tell me some stuff that um, I've missed if you, has anything stuck out for you bud what's been going on I mean I, there's a couple things just that I was thinking about when you messaged me um, with the BBL and now a couple of rounds of the WNCL um, but, yeah, like, the women's video was obviously awesome. There's so many new faces and stuff, which bodes well for, you know, women's, women's cricket. cricket. Yeah, hell yeah. Which we love, which we love. <laughs> um, you know, um, but a stand, I mean, for me, I thought, um, I, I feel like it's Nicole Fulton. Mm-hmm. She behind the stumps, very tidy, very tidy. Ooh, we like that. Oh, hides, we like um, that. But keepers also, union. like, yeah, we keep his union one hundred percent. But also, I think in you know, like WNCL, she's been getting a few with the bat too, which must give her heaps of confidence coming out of a good WBBL and then being able to maintain. So. Yeah, dude, and some big you know, scores there, you. right? Like the bloody breakers yeah. hit three hundred the other week. Like that's oh man, that's punchy stuff. I mean, like, what a lineup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, huge. <laughs> Phoebe Litchfield, bloody getting 88. you got to love that, Hides. you got to love that. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very powerful work. And Tess Flintoff, bloody taking a few wickets as well. That's that's pretty exciting stuff, Heidi Cheadle. Yeah, and good pace coming through too. Oh, yeah, Hides. Who's been impressing you with some pace? Well, I mean, um, a big fan of Stella Campbell. Mm. Yep, yep, now, young Stella. I... Yep. I hate to admit it but she so obviously she's such a delightful human but she when i first faced her um she bruised me through my thigh guard like <laughs> she caught my leg through the protection <laughs> so, <laughs> that's like one to stella Heidi zero um how did you go hides in that encounter did you man, manage to get a few away look <laughs> Lauren Cheadle could be mad if she can sort of hold tight in her body and, you know... Any relation, Heidi? Carry on. No. With a T. With a T. A T. T. Useless. you're not... Yeah. (laughs) You're not the first person to ask. And also, we wear the same number, so maybe there's something there. You never know. Wow. Well, at least she's got style and taste, Tides. You know, we've got to give her that. (laughs) We give that about everything else. Um, That's it. Dude, has it been weird with like WBBL and WNCL kind of happening at the same time? It's a bit of a, a lot of those same squads would be jumping around between a range of games at the moment. Having to change gears between multiple formats is always a bit of a tricky thing, isn't it? Yeah, I'd 
say, but I think that the WBBL, it sort of actually went very quickly, and I think the WNCL sort of started then one or two weeks after that, so right. there was sort of a bridging the, the, the gap there. Um, but also, it was also good for the grade competition because it allowed a lot of those contracted players to actually come back to grade and amp up that kind of competition as well, which I think is... I mean, as somebody in the great competition, it's, like, incredible to play alongside and, you know, it's a real um, uh, sort of character-building thing because you go into the knowing that these guys are really good, but it's like, so whatever happens is just, it could only really be positive. There's only way the way up, really. Like, yeah. you know, you expect them to do certain things. So when other things happen or there's chances or, you know, even if you're just witnessing Rachel Haynes getting 139 <laughs> against you, like, in the moment, it's like, oh, God. At the end of the day, she batted very, very well, and it's smart, no risks, and it was just like if, if you know, if he's just a human at the end of the day. So, you know, I mean, you didn't think that, that at the time, Hyde. You're standing there at first slip, being like, "What is happening in my life right now? This is the worst." Sorry, first slip. What about chasing the leather to the boundary every oh, other ball? No, Heidi. Oh no, I hate that. I mean, you're the skipper over there, but you gotta, you gotta cut that right down. <laughs> Surely there's some young bucks out there that can go out and chase oh, leather for right. you. <laughs> I know, delegating, right? That's the role, delegating. Delegate some staff hides. Um, mate, I just quickly wanted to mention Amanda Jade Wellington to you. Um, I was just looking at the oh, totals yes. there. She took 23 wickets in the WBBL this season. That's pretty oh, yeah. bloody incredible. And she's like, what, 24? I mean, that almost feels rude to me, Heidi. I know. I know, right? I've said it before, but these young children being excellent is so frustrating. It's very disappointing staff hides. Uh, did you get to watch a bit of her, mate? Was she turning them square? Was it just really accurate from, from our Amanda Jade? Um, I think I think a bit of both. I think timing as well, like mm. when she came on the ball. And I'm pretty sure she was on a hat-trick maybe. I can't remember. Yeah, wow. But, yeah, it was very exciting. And actually, on the spin, on the spin portion of this conversation, uh-huh. Alana King from the Scorchers oh yeah tearing it up <laughs> tearing it up catches feeling wickets like man I hope she I hope she continues the form because it's very exciting Oh, Hides, we, we'd love to hear that, pal. We bloody love we to love hear that. that. And, mate, we love that. obviously the Poms are coming here for the Women's Ashes in January, Jan-Feb, and we'll do a proper big episode with you to, to talk through all of that. But I guess I just wanted to get an, an early teaser taster from you about how you think that series is going to go down. Do the Poms have the firepower to be able to match us with us on home turf? What do you reckon? Oh, it's very exciting, isn't it? Um, <laughs> like, honestly, chills when we're talking about it. It hasn't even started. Um, look, I I feel like in a series like this, it doesn't come around like anything can happen, but I think um, it will be an exciting series. I hope it's competitive. Um, mm. I hope it's, you know, it's a mad opportunity for all of those players and any new people that make those squads. Like, what an experience. Um, yeah. So I, it's just like very, very exciting that we can start to play more test matches and, and things like that. But um, I obviously have to back my gals. Obviously, Hines. Um, obviously, I knew you were going but, to. But I just wanted to know uh, if you yeah. thought that it was going to be a bit. It was going to be a bit on the tight side, Hines. Or do you reckon uh, they're going to get blown know, out of the reckon, water? I reckon it's yeah. I reckon the you know somebody 
Yeah, I reckon somebody possibly like not that you would necessarily think could make a noise, could make a bit of a splash, you know? Like I think that's a. Uh, and then obviously you want your players to stand up and. I mean, I've got a lot of time for Heather Knight, who are we kidding? <laughs> so, she goes well with that little black sweatband on her arm, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see if she's got what it takes to deal with that vertical movement over here, Hides. <laughs> um, mate, I will let you get back to your drive down to Canberra, um, and I hope you get down there safe and sound. And, and thanks so much, dude, for just giving me a bit of time today and give me some things to go and look at. I'm going to go and watch some WNCL and get my head in the game and, yes. and keep my eye out for these players, dude. You're the best. I, I really appreciate you, the update. Oh, man, anytime. Happy to help. It was nice to chat. Oh, Hides. Pleasure is all mine. All right, man, I'm going to edit this thing together and I'll put it out and I will bloody um, chat to you again real soon. Thanks so much, Heidi. No, my pleasure, man. Go well. I'll see you later. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Big thanks to Heidi Cheetah. What an absolute legend. And Bardo, we best turn our attention back to the ashes, get ourselves back in the frame. Mm. Who would you like to hear from first? Would you like to hear a very disappointed and sad Tom Hawkey giving us an English perspective? Or would you like to hear a much more upbeat and arguably excitable Alex Spinks? What's your heart telling you? Look, I, th- I think we need to start with, with Alex because... I would love to hear what he's got to say, particularly about the way Australia's performed uh, in the last two test matches. And perhaps, you know, we might hear something about the uh, the debutantes uh, or th- those returning mm. to the test team for the first time in a while. would love to get his perspective on that. Fantastic, Bardo. Here he is, our Aussie correspondent, Alex Spinks. Oh. Outstanding. A sax offending highlight, Bardo. No doubt. Good day, everyone. After Pat and Barty's distinct lack of respect last episode for the great saxophonists of the past, <laughs> Baker Street felt appropriate. We've had some great saxophonists in the past, including, but not limited to, Raphael Ravenscroft, who you heard on Baker Street, Dexter Gordon, John Coltrane, Sonny Rollins, and now, thanks to Mitchell Stark, we can include Joe Root on The Soprano. Ah! England started this test with the only good decision Joe Root having made recently being had... That's very good from Spinksy. Yeah, that's, so, so that's very good. That took me a second to just really click into that. That's 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 top-notch humour. You don't get that anywhere else. Yeah. Please. Look, it also shows he listens back to the program, which <laughs> i got to commend him for. It's a lot more homework than some of us put into this show. How dare you, Chris? How dare you say that? Let's keep going with Spinksy. And two children well before the start of the series. England smashed in the box any chances they had of winning this match by selecting five very same-samey right-arm seamers and leaving out both a specialist spinner and their only bowler who can go over 140 kilometres an hour consistently without needing a shoulder reconstruction. <laughs> Australia, meanwhile, had to call upon their permanent bench bowlers who hit middle stump for fun. Joe Root wouldn't have been the only English batter with a lump in his throat once the Australian bowlers got to work. Michael Neeser, always the bridesmaid in the test team, got a wicket with his second ball in test cricket. And Jai Richardson looks like a man possessed when he has a kookaburra in his hand. Hold up there, Spixie. Mate, uh, we should quickly mention how wild it was, if you're just listening to this in succession, you might have heard about this, but um, Paddy Cummins, you know, being a close COVID contact and being pulled out of the game on the morning of, Steve Smith returning to the captaincy, and we're having two debutants, both Nisa and Jai Richardson, got in the side, but wild stuff. Yeah, in any other year, that would have been 
earth-shattering news that would have broken the cricket world wide open. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, but in the modern day, it's just like, okay, yeah, 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 okay, all right. Um, well, yep, it seems that we're just going to go back to Steve Smith is going to be captain. Yes. Yeah, was great about that. Seems legitimate. <laughs> but look, I think, um, I, well, one, it completes the redemption arc, doesn't it, for, for Steve Absolutely. Smith? Absolutely. You can probably hear my dog, uh, Albus, agreeing in the background. Um, <laughs> he says, yes, yes, redemption arc, complete. Yeah, Steve Smith did a great job. Yeah, 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 yeah did yeah, really yeah. well. Really good, really good Um so that, look, Redemption Arc complete for Steve Smith, amazing. Um, you know, we talked. I think on the last podcast, we, we were advocating for a Michael Neeson debut, but quite happy with Richo getting a game. Both end up getting a game. Both end yeah. up bowling really well. So amazing. I mean, crisis creates opportunity, Pat, and they both took their opportunity, which is magnificent. Wonderful turn of phrase there, Bardo. And and in addition to that, my friend, um, you know. The, the second most experienced test bowler in our outfit that just routed the palms was Cameron Green, who's got 10 caps. Oh, he, his bowling was absolutely spectacular. It wasn't um, it sensational. Deadly. Deadly. Absolutely deadly. And Joe Root uh, knows nothing knows nothing about it. He's going to have to go and, and learn a thing or two, go to university to learn a thing or two about Cameron Green's bowling. Sensational. Yeah, Chris. I mean, I mean, the batsman that Cameron Green got out just a couple of mugs by the name of Joe Root and Ben Stokes. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the best two players in the English side. You know, and they were doing a lot of graphics, Chris, about how high he delivers the ball, mm. how much bounce he gets and how much swing he gets. You know, he bowls at 140 clicks. He bowled one ball, but at 146. Yeah. Like, that is no genuinely mug. rapid. He is absolutely no mug. Um yeah, spectacular, spectacular bowling there from Cameron Green, and chipped in with um, uh, thirty-three in the second innings. If you don't mind, I mean, it's exciting, Chris. It's exciting. We've got to not to put too much pressure on him, but it's exciting. And while we're talking about exciting, I was so pleased to see Michael Nisa get a wicket, get his first Test poll. Absolutely deserved for a bloke mm-hmm. who's been doing so well in Shield cricket for so long, and has been, as Spinksy says, the permanent bridesmaid of the Australian setup. Um, and to see Jai Richardson back. I, I had got in my brain, Chris, confused between Jai Richardson and Joel Paris. Um, okay. And I had in my head that Richardson was a left armour, but he's a right armour and he's rapido, Chris. Yeah. He's bowling around that, you know, that 140s. He's swinging it nicely, a little bit skiddy, got a couple to skid through the gate and bowl a few blokes, swings it both ways. What a dream. Yep. Look, I've heard a few people describe Jai Richardson as skiddy this week. Uh, we all know skiddies are unpleasant. You know, <laughs> it's really uncomfortable. So, it's really uncomfortable, Chris. It's difficult to walk. You look like Joe Root trying <laughs> yeah, to run a quick two. Right, yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> not sure what's happening. You know, it's not good. Bad smell. <laughs> bad smell, bad times. How do that Let's hear some more <laughs> from Spigs. Cross between Hugh Grant and Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. I genuinely believe that God restricted Richardson's size and build to that of a normal man, because if he had the body of a Curtly Ambrose or a Joel Garner, the anger that Jai Richardson has for any batter between him and the stumps would have ripped a hole in the fabric of space-time. All Western Australians are just born angry, I guess. It's true. Steve Smith's hotel bedroom batting sessions have kept him zen enough to be able to step in at the extremely last minute as captain, and he, alongside Marnus Labuschagne and David Warner once more, combined for almost 300 runs between them in the first innings to once again show England how things are done. 
Maybe the English batters would do well to mimic Smith and practice wielding their willows in the hotel whilst they're on tour. It might calm them down at the very least. When Joss Butler wasn't taking crown jewel catches down the leg side to dismiss Australia's easiest batter to rub out in Marcus Harris, he was dropping his plums at regulation catches to our stickiest at the crease number three since Ricky Ponting. Yet, once again, Joss Butler managed to do it. Until his obstinate defence on the fifth day, I was convinced Butler would be easily replaced as both keeper and batter by a poorly thatched together scarecrow wearing mittens. But after he fiddled with his own stunts in public to get out, I'm still not sure if it isn't worth a try. As god-awful as England have been in the field, and let's face it, they couldn't catch a cold with a cold-catching thing, <laughs> it does feel like their incompetence is papering over the cracks of the Australian batting lineup. Oh. Whilst Cameron Green has surely cemented his place in the squad thanks to some beautiful seam-up bowling, snagging Sir Testicles twice so far, there was much wrinkle-purse twisting over who would open the batting alongside David Warner. Plenty of shucking of prairie oysters about if Travis Head deserved to stay in the side. All sorts of gnawing of Jack's crackers about just how much humiliation Stuart Broad would dish out to David Warner. And many knocking about of the kangaroo apples, wondering if Neil Wagner two years ago had showed the world the blueprint to undo all of Steve Smith's tortured genius. But now, thanks to England bringing what seems like a pocket billiards team out to Australia instead of a cricket team... The only question remaining for the Australian team is just how long are you allowed to keep Marcus Harris as an opener before it's considered cruel and unusual punishment? Mm. So, thanks for that, I guess, England. And next, we're off to the MCG for the Boxing Day test, where Australia will hopefully have its full contingent of its master battery available to bowl, but if not, I'm sure there's some promising preschool cricketers available that will still give Rory Burns nightmares. (laughs) Happy holidays, one and all. Great work, Spinksy. I'm just going to listen to this saxophone one more time. Yeah, it feels like Tom Hawkey's analysis. You know, that's how it gets me going. It's smooth. Just so smooth. You know what? As well as learning stuff about cricket there, Chris, I think you and I both learn a lot more about saxophone, um, yeah. which is useful, you know? Listen. Spinksy bringing the heat week after week. It's, there's like saxophone, Stewart Island. Uh, <laughs> next season, we'll move on to the tees. You know, I can't wait. I can't wait that for that either, Chris. We're going to learn so much on this show. Um, Spinji does bring up a very good point. He brings up a lot of good points. He always does. But, uh, and some really great testicular masturbation jokes uh, were just weaved in there wonderfully, uh, which I, I greatly enjoyed. Yeah, he, but he, 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 he massaged them in quite well. Didn't he? <laughs> Didn't you just layer them in, Chris? It was like, it was almost, yeah, it was, it was very subtextual in points. Um, big man, I have heard, so here's what here's what's happened to me this week, Chris. Here's what happened to me, right? After we won this test, I immediately have dived into a whole swathe of English commentators talking about how bad the English team is. Because mm-hmm. this is how I find my kicks in the modern world. I watch You're the pubs. The- <laughs> I'm a sadist. Exactly exactly what I'm saying. I get joy out of watching the English bemoan their own cricket team. But a thing that has come up a couple of times, and I'd love to pick your brain on, Mm -hmm. is that um, multiple versions of these commentators have said that if England was able to get their stuff right, that the Australian batting lineup is more fragile than it appears. And I guess I wanted your two cents on that, because Spinksy's saying a similar thing here, that... 
potentially our victories here and the, and the the poorness with which England particularly has been in the field, mm. is it papering over the cracks of an Australian team that actually might be more fragile than it looks? What do you think? Yeah, look, it's a good observation, isn't it? I think there's a couple of things here. When we, when we analyse the English performance, we've generally been reasonably okay with the bowling. Maybe not the selection of the bowling unit and, and who comprises of the bowling unit, uh, but the actual bowling performances themselves, uh, say Jack Leach aside, uh, we've generally said, look, they've bowled pretty well and we're pretty happy with it. The English fielders have not supported the English bowlers really at all. You know, so there's been multiple, uh, we've talked about multiple occasions where, uh, you know, the Australian top board has been dropped. In the first test, we talked about the many lives of David Warner. You know, in this test, uh, Joss Butler dropped the undroppable uh, catch uh, against Marnus Labuschagne, who then goes on to score 100. Uh, there's been a couple of other instances in the field, you know, the crazy missed runouts and, and all those sorts of things, where, you know, if you take those regulation chances, all of a sudden those wickets fall, the pressure builds, uh, and it becomes more difficult for Australia to, to score and for the, for the top order to perform. So I don't necessarily disagree uh, that perhaps the Australian batting order has been allowed a little bit more breathing room than what they perhaps otherwise would have been. Um, But I think if you look, generally speaking, at the top six, you know, Warner's, you know, chances aside is in pretty good nick. Minus Labuschagne has not scored under 50 in this series so far. Steve Smith, you, you know, had had a relatively quiet start you know, by his lofty standards, but managed 93 in the first innings. Uh, and we know that a big innings, uh, you know, of his, his typical magnitude is not too far away. Mm. Travis Head, you know, we certainly would have probably said pre-series that he was one of the players that had a question mark over him, but has, you know, in the last test match, piled on 150 in really quick time to get Australia out of a tight spot because we were, I think, 595 when he came in. But, you know, you, you don't do what he's done without being, you know, some some sort of a quality batsman. Yeah, he's second top run scorer in the series, but he's got 221 runs at 73. So um, the top three run scorers are all Australian batters. So that's that shows us something, right? Absolutely, Pat. And look, I think in, in terms of Cameron Green... The people have short memories, right? Because the immediate commentary is around how Cameron Green's batting has not been that great. And I'll, I'll grant you, you know, for the first sort of three innings uh, of this series, so, you know, had the first ball duck, uh, the, the leave, um, didn't bat in the second innings of the first test. First innings of this test, you know, got out um, to, uh, bowled by Ben Stokes for two. Uh, all fine. I, I acknowledge all of that. But his first class batting average is 50. So... I'm wow. not. I'm not concerned. You, you know, I'm not concerned about Cameron yeah. Green batting six. I think he's just fine. Uh, you know, we we're, we can allow him a little bit of time to to blossom in terms of making some runs. And we saw in the second innings again. He came in at a relatively tight spot. Um, I think just bringing up the numbers here. And I really applied himself to that. Really applied himself. So came, came in at four fifty five, yeah. right? Um, and. Um, Really applied himself, 33 of, of 43, got Australia, you know, to, to safety, carried his bat. So I think people have short memories when it comes to, to Cameron Green and his prowess in particular. I can see him 
you know, he's clearly going to play the rest of the series. The question clearly, as we've talked about, is over Marcus Harris. No, that's yeah. not that's not new news. And I suppose um, he there is still um, we have never resolved the issue as to who is the appropriate person to open with David Warner. I think the, mm. the closest we ever got was um, Chris Rogers all those years yeah. ago. The odd couple, the the aggressive attacking Warner versus the dour <laughs> break dancing, you know, late late playing, late timing Chris Rogers. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a continual issue, uh, and, and we haven't found a solution. You know, over the years we've tried Bancroft, Harris, Kawaja. We've tried uh, Renshaw, Rogers, mm. Watson. Uh, I think there for a while. Uh, so, uh, look, that is probably Cadditch st- even maybe. Yeah, potentially. I think that. I mean, that'd be an interesting deep deep dive, wouldn't it? But to, to look at the the various opening. Uh, Ed Steady Cowan. Eddie Cowan. Eddie Cowan. Yep. 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 So we haven't got that right for a long period of time. But if if you look at the other five batsmen in the top six, I think look that they, they are of reasonable quality here and I think if um, England held their catches the game would be still so would still be a lot closer but I do think you'd find that Australia would be still putting enough runs on the board in order to uh, you know in order to win the game we, and we also saw in the most recent test match um, in the first innings Alex Carey posted his first test match 50 yeah yeah and he looked good too it, it looked good you know we know he can bat we know he, we know what he can do in the shorter form of the game and you know this was 50 off 100, 100 balls so you know clearly timed his um, you know, he timed his innings well. Didn't didn't go hammer and tong straight away. So, understand where they're coming from. Uh, certainly, the game would have been closer, but I think it's a little bit of hubris to say that the Australian batting lineup is is shaky. I think it's actually building. Do I think it's perfect? No, but I think it's building nicely. I, I think it's firming up. It's probably not. We certainly don't have as much depth as what we have in, say, the fast bowling stakes as we've seen in the For most sure. recent test, where you can have the number one test bowler and captain. Leave, uh, and the um, <laughs> the two replacements step in. Yeah, and, and the behave metro- like and fifty testers. That's right, and the metronome, and the metronome in in Josh Hazelwood, who who will go down as one of the, one of the great Australian fast bowlers as well, also not be available. And then you've got a first timer in Michael Nisa, and uh, you know the um, the returning skitter in, in Jai Richardson, who, who bowled absolutely magnificently in, in particularly Takes in, the second, in the second dig. Yeah. You know, like, what do you, what more do you want from that? On the batting numbers, Chris, I've just got them in front of me here, and I can tell you that the, the, I mean, we've only played two tests, right? So take this with a grain of salt, but Labuschagne, Head, Warner make up the top three run scorers in the series so far, followed by Milan and Root, then Smith, then Chris Wokes, then Mitchell Stark, right? Here's the current lineup. Um, right down in the lower to mid table, you've got Marcus Harris, who's got 38 runs at 12, and Cameron Green, 35 runs at 17. Um, 33 of those coming in one knock in the second dig there. Mm. So, so look, I, I hear the point that's being made here. The point that's being made here is is that England, if they were able to apply themselves, bowl that slightly fuller length that's been talked about a lot, which they bowled for, what, a session or half a session under under Ben Stokes that mm. caused a lot of problems. Absolutely. If they were to pitch it up slightly fuller and hold their catches, could they be in the game? Well, yes, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Would, would they take wickets if they were able to hold catches and bowl a slightly fuller length that challenged the outside edge? Yeah, but yeah. Chris, this is some real year nine stuff, right? Look, Pat, Isn't it? Essentially what the English commentators are saying 
is if England performed all three functions of the game better, <laughs> the game would be closer. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> right. You know. Okay. Great. Shock and horror. Sure. Not a problem. And, and not, I don't disagree with you. you know, Same. England have bowled some weird lengths. And, um, you know, they haven't batted particularly well. I would say, you know, we're in a position where the English press is questioning and saying the Australian top six may be shakier than what we think. Whereas the Australian press is saying, no, the English, the English top six is just shaky. Like definitively shaky. Definitively categorically shaky. I yeah. mean, Rory Burns in this game looked like a bloke who was uh, full of skid marks, Chris. He looked like he was skidding <laughs> up and down the, 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 whole, <laughs> the whole bracket there. He was absolutely pooping it. Um, Hamid ha- has gone into his shell a little bit in this game. Um, really got out pretty soft in the first dig. Um, you know, Milan looks good. Root looks good, even if they find themselves getting out in the 80s a bunch. But outside of that, mate, it looks pretty bloody thin. Like we say, Joss Butler did this one incredible, you know, stonewalling, which was very unlike him. Yeah. But you're just looking at them being... And Ollie Pope, mate. Ollie Pope, far out. That bloke, Chris, should contemplate joining the Olympic fencing team with the amount of stick he's just holding out there, hoping to strike at something. Like, he's really just dangling the rapier three foot outside off and just hoping for the best. He is really fencing at him, and he should really contemplate getting on the set of The Witcher or something and maybe just giving this up. And, and while I'm on my Ollie Pope rant, um, <laughs> do you have a joke there? Sorry, no, I was just, just laughing. I just... I. See, I know what you're like as a cricketer. I know your level of cricketing skill, Pat. And there's a... <laughs> it, uh, so, there's a basketballer, right? There's a basketballer called Brian <laughs> Brian Scalabrini. Okay, right? Scalabrini. Brian Scalabrini. Brian Scalabrini won a championship ring with the Boston Celtics, I think, in 2008. Uh, mm. And he's, he's seven feet tall. Uh, and essentially, his oh, no. job was to stand in the corner, catch balls... And, and, and shoot threes and he really and he, so he could do two things he could get rebounds and he could um, shoot threes at a relatively reasonable clip so it's quite good to have a big man that could do that because it spaces the floor now really in an NBA setting couldn't really perform any of the other functions of the game mm-hmm. uh, and he holds the distinction uh, you're aware of the video game franchise NBA 2K absolutely uh, Chris yeah so Brian Scalabrini holds the distinction of having the lowest ever rating uh, on NBA 2K, right? Okay, wow, sure. So I yeah. believe, I believe, and I, and perhaps the listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe his rating was 40, right? Oof. Out of 100. So, Oof. not good. But Brian Scalabrini has has a thing where now he's retired. He's been retired for a number of years, and people are kind of aware of this rating of 40 and kind of what his standing was in the game. And um, to give you another another context, uh, Pat, so uh, Kobe Bryant's nickname was the Black Mamba. Brian Scalabrini, his nickname is the White Mamba. So, <laughs> uh, you know, this is where this guy sits, right? Anyway, yeah. um, now that he's been retired for a number of years, uh, people are aware of his 2K rating and kind of standing in the game. And the college kids in particular will like challenge him when they see him shooting hoops. And we'll be like, hey, man, like, let's have a game. Like, I reckon I can beat you. Um, and his, he will always accept the challenge and he'll play and he'll win. And they'll kind of go like, well, wow, it's unbelievable. I can't believe I just got beaten by Brian Scalabrini. And his thing is, even though my 2K rating is 40, I'm much closer to LeBron James than you are to me. 
Oh, yeah, Chris. Oh, the only thing Ollie Pope and I have in common is we're both ginger. Like, <laughs> Ollie Pope is a million times the batter I'll ever be. The oh, bloke average sure. is 50 in county cricket. Com- you know. For sure. Absolutely, Chris. So, that's just a bit of... Uh, when I when I have a giggle, that's uh, that's the context <laughs> to the uh, the chortle there. And, and as you say, I'm sure uh, uh, Ollie Pope doesn't concern himself with our opinion. Um, but anyway, absolutely in not, the context mate, of this game, not. you're quite right. He is he's he's dangling out there like a uh, fishing line over a bridge, just hoping to catch, <laughs> it, catch some brim or catch some whiting. Um, all he seems to be catching at the moment is the edge. Oh, well done, Bono. Well done. Way to tie that back in. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward... Well, I'm interested to see whether they give him another crack or not. You know, Athers, Michael Atherton, is saying that the English should just stick with their side and give the fellas another chance and put some faith in them and believe in them. And other commentators, Nasser Hussain, has been calling for wholesale changes. So it's going to be interesting to see which way the Poms go in this one. Um, and I think a man who might have a bit more insight into that train of thought is the one and only Tom K. Hawkey. But uh, if you'd like to hear from TK. I would love to. I just, I am, I've been looking forward to this for two days now, just hearing his, his ridiculous voice. Let's see what he's got to say for himself. Here he is. Hi there. Tom K. Hawkey here with your bulletin from a Brit. Now let's not kid ourselves here. Day five flattered England as they battled their way into the final session. But if the lightning hadn't struck on day two, England would have been in a far worse position than the 17 for 2 they walked off on. That gift from above meant they strode out on day 3 with the sun shining brightly and a true paced road beneath their feet. They promptly crumbled to 236 all out. Yet another sub-par batting performance coming off the back of quite a lacklustre bowling effort in Australia's first innings. This 275 run loss is crushing. I feel so sorry for Joe Root. He is in the form of his life while having to support one of the weakest England batting lineups for decades. It's a bit like if Notts County signed Lionel Messi, with him scoring five goals every game, but the team conceding six. Not only that, but this week Root had to put up with some of the unfriendliest friendly fire as he took a ball to the googlies from spin coach Keaton Patel. Root was boxless at the time, and he added an orb to his family jewels. Requiring a trip to the hospital, Root's one-man T2 blast left him unable to take the field for the start of day four. However... I'm just going to say, Chris, that between our two correspondents, the Nads jokes in this episode have been really good. They've been really good stuff. Yeah, it's almost as if they've enjoyed it. Uh, You know, what can you say? That's very good. Root's root had further turmoil to come, as Mitchell Stark began to hone in on his stones. The first ball of the 41st (laughs) over crashed into Root's personal middle stump. He was caught truly plums in front, causing him to collapse in agony. Root discovered that testes cricket really is the toughest form of the game, and he was out to the final ball of the day, nicking behind. All those blows below the belt mashed more than just his love spuds, as he later tried to claim, Australia are not that much better than us. Sure, Joe. Sure. Okay, enough about potential nobles. Let's get on with dissecting the shambolic England team. After two shocking tests with the pact, it's clear that England need to shake things up. So who should England drop? By rights, Rory Burns should not play. 
but who realistically would replace him? Only two other players in the squad have opened the batting before for England. Crawley averages 20 in the seven matches he's opened, and Butler has two innings playing at two, and averages two. England have less depth than a Netflix Christmas rom-com. <laughs> Burns then stays. So do we drop Butler? A fifth- That's great stuff from Tom. I'm just stopping him there, Chris. That's great stuff. Insightful. Funny. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. What's your what's your go-to Netflix Christmas special, Pat? What do you what do you watch? Uh Chris, I live in the camp that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, uh, okay. and I think it's a, a brilliant choice. I also do love Love Actually. I think yeah, it's a great film. Yeah, um, a there are some parts of Love Actually that are really problematic when you watch them now, but it is uh, you can't go past the scene with Emma Thompson and Bill Nye, uh, where she, no Emma Thompson and Al, um, oh he was Helen's Garuba. It's the same guy, Alan Rickman. Um, thank you so much. Uh, those two where they talk about the affair that's some top notch work from everybody in that scene that's that's really high quality what about you B-Train what's yeah. your what's your go to Christmas did, movie did he have the affair or did he just buy a gift for someone else he just bought the gift right right, right. No, I mean not that that's gift. not that that makes a difference that's you know as we've you know he, he Tim painted it didn't he um, yeah, uh, exactly Chris, yeah. exactly um, uh, I have to agree with you I think Love Actually is a, that's a good one um, my favourite scene in that movie is probably the part where Rowan Atkinson's wrapping the gift. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? I think Classic. that's a good one. Uh, other Christmas movies. There was one um, a few years ago that I remember. It had Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad, and they were fighting over a, uh, a toy. I think it's called Jingle All The Way. Um, oh, wow. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Didn't mind that one. Didn't mind that one. Um <laughs> And then there was, um, I haven't watched a lot lately, I have to admit, but uh, the one that I didn't mind as well was the original Tim Allen, the Santa Claus one, where he becomes Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was Tim pretty good. Tim the Toolman. Yeah. He's just got some great slapstick, that bloke. Yeah. Um, let's anyway, get back to TV. Carry on. <laughs> Dean Ball Duck on that flat track and dropping an easy catch to have Smith out for a golden duck say yes. But two world-class catches and a 207-ball innings full of concentration say no. Ultimately, I think he did just enough to retain his spot, so long as he remembers where his stumps are in the next game. For me, it's Ollie Pope who should sit out Test 3. He's a young man who was brimming with potential, but he's being found out rather too easily in this series. If he keeps getting out cheaply, his confidence is going to plummet. I'd drop him, but keep him firmly in the camp and get him in the nets to get his eye back in. Hold up there, TK. So I've been thinking about this too, Chris, and mm. uh, I've thought about it better than I thought about my attempt to make a fencing joke earlier. But um, uh, Ollie Pope, right? So I did some digging, but I did some yeah. digging in the last couple of days, and um, here's what I discovered. There are four blokes in county cricket who have made a 1,000 runs this season. Now, Ollie Pope's not one of them, but these four blokes who've all made a 1,000 runs all average under 40. In fact, all of them average under 35. Right. Ollie Pope averages 50-odd in county cricket, okay. but he's only got a small number of innings. He's hit a huge amount of runs in his small amount of time in the game. So what we can see here is a young guy who is going to be a great test batter, um, regardless of my sledging, who is being found out on a bouncy track who's being found out because of how much the ball's kicking up and is fending at stuff, right? Yeah. I think in a series or two's time, when he comes back, Ollie Pope's going to kick some ass. But I think Tom's right for the moment that the best thing he can do is get him out of the side 
and get an experienced head in there like Bearstow or whoever it may yeah, be. Yeah, well, I mean, we talk about how, we talked about in previous episodes how Australia is all about dealing with the vertical movement, whereas England's all about dealing with the horizontal movement. So if you're making mm-hmm. all your runs in county cricket, you know, you're, you're, you'll be making plenty of runs dealing with a horizontal a ball, you know, the swinging ball. But there's not a lot of, and there hasn't been a lot of opportunities for English players, unless they're playing some form of club cricket, to come out and experience the bouncy Australian pitches, the Australian conditions. Mm. Yeah, and this English touring squad, to be fair to them, did not have much in the way of a lead-up or preparation to get used to the conditions. Nothing, Chris. Nothing you know, at all. Sweet FA. So you've got a team here that is undermanned, um, affected by COVID, um, and hasn't had any preparation. And, and, and then to add to that, you've, as you say, you've got a young player in Ollie Pope who's on his first tour of Australia. So it does make it challenging. Uh, certainly, um, what interests me about the England selection, I suppose this is where we come back to the, the Athers versus NASA um, debate, is I'm not clear on who England's best 11 is. Who is that? Mm. In any conditions, put conditions to one side for a moment because we can always tinker with that later. But give it neutral conditions, who is England's best 11? I don't know the answer to that. I think you need to start with picking that team and then fiddle around. It feels like they're trying to reverse engineer this thing and I think that that's where they're going wrong. Yeah, Chris, I couldn't agree more. Astute, Bardo, I'd call that. Astute. (laughs) If he's truly to be England's new Ian Bell, I want him back in form before he strides out to the middle again. I'd bring in Bearstow and hope that Butler's shaky form inspires Johnny to play out of his skin to try and rest those gloves back. England's bowlers weren't great either, although they did play the lineup that I was calling for before the match. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> we lacked the express pace of Wood, who I hope is fit and comes in for old man Anderson. England showed they don't need a frontline spinner, by instead bowling Root, not too surprising, Milan, quite a bit surprising, and Ollie Robinson, Mind-blowingly surprising. (laughs) The three of them returned combined figures in the second innings of 15 overs, one maiden, 71 runs for four wickets. Compare that to Leach's 13 overs, no maidens, 102 runs for one wicket, and it's clear he's surplus to requirement. Finally, I'd like... Sorry, Tom, really quickly. Chris, how great was it seeing Ollie Robinson put on the speed dealers and send out some old (laughs) bikes? Yeah. Uh, it was absolutely wild. It was great cricket. It was, you love to see it. You know, it was interesting listening to the commentary because there were there were a few people saying, look, this is the kind of shenanigans that you'd pull in club cricket. It's not fit for a test match arena, blah, blah, blah. But I loved it. I thought it was magnificent because it, it happened. Yeah. And you're watching it and you're listening to it and you're going, what's happening? Like, what is going on? <laughs> There's theories flying everywhere. Personally, when he first started doing it, I thought, you know, maybe this is like, his form of a protest against David Boone for all those points they've been docked for their slow wow, over Wow, yeah. I was like, they're taking it personally. I kind of like this. Um, but then we find out that actually he started his career as an off-spinning, batting, all-rounder type. Uh, yeah, phenomenal. So we all learned something. And I think it was, yeah. I mean, it wasn't terrible. He bowled okay. It was uh, pretty good. And look, David, David Milan, for a bloke who bowls yeah. with one arm, literally doesn't use his front arm at all, no. bowls some pretty tidy leg breaks. Yeah. Didn't They're hate pretty it. Pretty tidy. Didn't hate it. So I'm all, I was all for it. I thought that that was one of the more entertaining components of the game, for sure. Me too. I loved it. I'd like to address the issue of England being docked Test Championship points. 
to be honest, I'm delighted. Oh. I'd rather take all six balls of the Stark over to my groin than suffer through this England team playing any more matches than is strictly necessary. <laughs> Thanks, TK. Great to have you back on the pod, my friend. You are a legend. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And and Chris, you know, I hope they do make a couple of changes. I hope we do see Johnny Bairstow back in, and a little bit mm. of, of protection for Ollie Pope. I think that sounds like the best way to protect what, what, who could be a, a real bright young star for English cricket. Yeah. Um, and it brings us, Chris, to talking about Boxing Day. Lovely. Going to be a Big celebration, Chris. 90-odd thousand people packed into the MCG. Um, the Paddy Cummins, the skipper, back in the side following, uh, you know, a COVID uh, close contactness the other week, um, which ruled him out of Adelaide. So that's going to be great to see. Um, Josh Hazelwood is still in doubt. We don't know whether he's going to be in the side or not. Um, if he is, then it'll be the full old firm of Hazelwood Stark Cummins. And if he's not, Jai Richardson following his 5 for 45, I think, 5 for 42 that he took in the second dig, um, will we'll fill in for Hazelwood until he recovers from his side strain. So uh, looking pretty solid there, mate. Um, and I, I think it's a great opportunity for Marcus Harris. You know, this is his home test, yeah. Boxing Day. You know, he knows this ground really well. If he can't make runs here, you feel like probably time to get back into state cricket. What do you reckon? Yeah, look, I think you're right. I think that in terms of the, the bowling lineup, you know, clearly there's a, a pecking order there now, which is great. I think the addition of Scotty Boland to the um, to the squad is, is really interesting and obviously exciting for him. He's been bowling really well. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting, great. like I traditionally knew Scott, Scotty Boland as a, as a white ball specialist in terms of his bowling. But if you look at his career averages, you know, he really has been a star performer at first class level for a long period of time. 79 matches for Victoria, 272 wickets at an average of 26. Um, okay. That's no mug. You know, that's, that's a guy that can bowl. And... Uh, and this season, he's been prolific, I think, Chris. He's been just behind Jai Richardson in terms yeah. of wickets taken. He's been taking heaps of poles. And I think what they're bringing him in for is as COVID cover um, in case they do lose a fast bowler to a COVID scare. Obviously, there's a lot of cases in Melbourne at the moment. I think they're at around the 1,000-something mark again today. Uh, we can't talk here in New South Wales. We just did 3,700 cases today. whoop de doo good for us. So, um, you know... Uh, I think they're keeping an extra player or two around the squad just to have a bit of flexibility if uh, if required, if, if something doesn't yeah, get down. Yeah, for sure. Now, now, stay with me here, Pat. Okay. Perhaps it's too risky to do when the series is still on the line. Oh, no. Are you coming out with selection shock, Chris? Have you got a selection shock up your sleeve for me here? Uh, just going to put this one out there. Okay. All yeah. right. So, what we're going to have is we're going to have... Assuming everybody's fit, uh, we will have Cummins, mm-hmm. Stark, mm. Green, mm-hmm. as your seamers, Lyon, and Schwepson. So, as your bowling oh. lineup. Oh, two spinners. I'm saying, now I don't know if it's going to happen in this test match. Maybe next session, maybe Sydney, maybe Sydney. That might mm-hmm. be the place to do it. But I that would be interesting. I think Cameron Green's bowling has been good enough um, to be Australia's third seamer. You know, would he be, is, he, is he in your top three fast bowlers? Um, 
in the country? Probably not. But his bowling has been good enough, I think, to be a legitimate third option. And this could be the series where we see uh, Mitchell Swepson make his debut. He's still in the squad. Uh, you've got to wonder why uh, if they're not going to play him. I think that... I mean, Chris, it's a good point, mate. It's a good point. And look, I think it's going to depend on the pitch, right? Like, the MCG, was it last year, was an absolute road. An absolute road and a half. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on an absolute road like that, having two um, spinners could be a vibe, especially a leggy. Um, but I reckon if the three main quicks are all fit and raring to go, Chris, it's going to be pretty tough to for go sure, past for that. Sure. As yeah. I said, it's a but wild like theory. Shock. It's a wild theory. I'm throwing <laughs> things out there. Hey, bring him out. Seeing what's happened. I just want to see two spinners. That's all I want. I want an offie and a leggy operating from alternate ends. That's my Christmas present. That's what I want to see. <laughs> it's my own enjoyment. As- you found me out. Um... It's got nothing to do with it. It's actually going to help us win. Um, I would just like to see it. We'll see what happens. George Bailey, if you're listening, just do us a red hot favor if you can, mate. Just just sort us out. Um, what do you reckon, Bardo? Do you reckon we're going to, in terms of how do you think the test is going to go down? I won't push you for an exact amount of runs difference, but uh, let's just go on our previous scale. Do you think it's going to be tight? Do you think it's going to be blowed one open? Do you think it's going to be a draw? What do you think is going to happen here? Yeah, well, my, my pre-series prediction was 3-1. Sticking, sticking with it. Sticking with it. I think if a draw is going to occur, it's most likely going to occur at the MCG, given the history that they've had with that pitch. Uh, and I think the last time England came out uh, was 4-0, wasn't it? And it was the MCG that proved to be the draw in that series as well, I believe. So I think history will repeat. You know, if... And I I think we'll see an improved performance from England. I think, you know, even if you look at the individual players in that team, you know, Butler's a quality player. He's a quality batsman. Um, Root's a great player. Root's a great player. Stokes, yeah, I said last time, former temporary class is permanent. We've just got to mm-hmm. wait for the, for the switch to be flicked and something will happen. You know, and you know, as I said, as we said earlier in the episode, there's enough there in the English bowling lineup in, in the form of Wood. You know, Robinson's been all right. I thought Broad, when he pitched the ball up, looked pretty fearsome in patches. Mm. It was just about getting in the right areas more often. So there's enough little pieces there that if they can pull it together, string it together for a couple of sessions, they might push Australia. Uh, I just think that uh, if a draw is going to occur, it's going to occur here. So my prediction is a draw. But I think if anyone's going to win, it will be Australia quite comfortably. Buddy, I'm going to stick with my previous statement too and say we're going to bloody roll them. We're just going to bloody roll them, Bardo. I think for two key reasons. I think mentally, their top order bats are shot. I think they're they're gone. They're gone for all money. And if they bring in new blokes there in front of ninety thousand people at the NCG, they're gonna they're gonna pants it. So, um, you know, I think I think we're going to roll them. I, I really do. I'm going to stick with that. I'm starting to turn into Glenn McGrath over here, but I just feel like, um, yeah, I think we're going to, I think we're going to do another number on them. I think we're just going to bat them into the ground. I think if it is a road and we do get to bat first, we're just going to bat for forever. And then when they get back in, the poor old palms, they're going to be tired. They're going to be pooped. Snickety, 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 doodah, day. Um, bingo, bango, Bob's your uncle. We'll see you in the shed, sunshine. Arrivederci. Uh, and I'm, 
really looking forward to uh, hearing what Michael Atherton has to say about it. I, I do hear your point. Could well be a draw. You know, England could well turn it out and surprise me. And if they do, like, all power to them. Like, what a great time for them to fight back and win a test match and give us something to cheer about. Oh, I don't think but they'll Bardo, win. I want to be really clear. I don't think they'll win. Uh, yeah. I think they might they might do enough to uh, finagle a draw. Um, but uh, hopefully we do see a competitive game. That that would be that would be great. And look, the last test match was competitive in patches, so hopefully it just continues to trend upwards. Uh, Chris, quick, uh, quick Christmas update from you, big fella. What's in store for you for Christmas? And uh, I won't speak to you until after New Year's either. Um, so uh, what's what's in store for you uh, for the next couple of weeks? Yeah, it's a good question, Pat. I've got to be honest with you, mate. I, I don't know. Uh, it's a plan. <laughs> You're just going to wait for your wife to tell you to go places and you're going to go there. Yeah. Is that your plan? That's right. Pretty much. Um, uh, do as required. Duties as required uh, for Christmas yeah. Day. Um, I, I normally make pancakes, Pat, on Christmas morning. I do, do a pretty good job of that. Do you make pancakes on yep. Christmas Day? Yeah. I've just purchased Man, um, two $18 bottles of maple syrup. Oh, damn. Um, it's some good stuff. Um, it's from the, um, I don't know, maple trees. Do they grow in a forest? I'm not sure, but it's, <laughs> it's from the maple forest or plant, you know, planting yeah. space of uh, uh-huh. uh, of Vermont, Vermont. Oh, um, beautiful, Chris. Which you know, I actually searched everywhere for um, genuine Canadian maple syrup. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it anywhere. Mm. Um, Vermont was the closest I could get geographically, so that's what I've accepted. So anyway, that'll form the basis. <laughs> that'll form the basis of my Christmas breakfast that i'll prepare for everybody and then i kind of check out for the next 12 to 24 hours wake up on boxing day and uh you know seize the day uh you know for the next little while so that's my that's my plans um to have a you know a criticized indent on the couch after five days hopefully five days of absorbing test cricket but I love that for you so much. Um, pal, I am going to... I'm stuck in Sydney, obviously. I can't get back to Perth for Christmas. But I'm going to be going to have Christmas with a couple of friends. Love it. I'm going to see Polly's family on New Year, or Christmas Eve is when they do their thing. And uh, Chris, think about this. Marinate on this factor, pal. December 31, your sweet and favourite boy over here, PC. I'm flying out to Daydream Island, Chris, in the Wit Sundays. And I'm going to be swimming up to a swim-up bar in a rash vest that doesn't make me look like a total dweeb and drinking myself some delicious, delicious drinker-poos. For four days, Chris, Pat, Queensland, sunshine, no sunburn. This is the dream, Bardo, the dream. I, I believe all but one of those things. Um, <laughs> I'll let you... Hey, by the way, um, yeah. if you don't have any plans at 3 a.m. tomorrow, um, oh. so that'll be 3 a.m., Thursday morning, so it must be about yep. six a.m. your time. The USA is playing Ireland in a T Twenty international. Wow! At Lauder Hill, which I think we've talked about Lauder Hill before, and I think that's in Florida. Maybe. Yeah, right. Anyway, uh, uh, pretty exciting because Ireland is going on. There, there you go. I'm pretty sure the Lauder Hill is in Florida because Ireland is currently going on a tour of the United States. And the West Indies, and their first stop is uh, a T20. So that's exciting. USA cricket. USA cricket, bloody sensational. Go the Irish too. But yeah, uh, great to see them out sure. there touring, mate. 
Lovely. Chris, thanks so much for your time. Have a really great Christmas, pal, and I will speak to you after Boxing Day and before the New Year's test. Sounds good. Cheers, Pat. Cheers, Chris. Go, there's a leaf. Go. Damn it. Two for None is created and presented by Patrick Cullen and Chris Barty. Big thanks to Tom Hawkey, Alex Spinks, and Chris Barty, of course, for joining me on the show. Hey, make sure you check out our Facebook page at Two For None, and you can email us anytime at gingersnapsydney at gmail.com. Two For None is produced by Gingersnap Productions. Check out our other show, The Isocast, and your podcatcher, and make sure you like, rate, review, and subscribe to all our podcasts. Tell a cricket fan about this podcast, and we will be back before the New Year's test in Sydney to wrap up all the action out of Boxing Day. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great holiday. Stay safe. We'll see you in 2022.